the Bible is the most wonderful book ever presented to the human race. Actually, it's a little library. It's really not a single book. There are 66 parts from Genesis to Revelation composed over hundreds and hundreds of years. And the beginning and the ending of this marvelous Bible, this library, is especially important. Because in the beginning, we see why. In the beginning, we see why we exist. Why we're on the earth. To express God and to represent him. Then when God decided to bring this book to an end, he realized something very crucial concerning his people on earth. He knows that everything in the realm of Satan's kingdom on the earth stands against God, his will, his purpose, his intention. And those who have responded to the glorious good news of the gospel and believed into the Son to be born of God, to have the life and nature of God, and then to assemble as genuine local churches in the city where they live, the Lord knows it's not an easy road to travel for one's whole life. And the Lord knows only one thing can sustain us all the way to the end. And as I have observed, many beloved brothers and sisters who were once among us and then for various reasons decided to separate themselves and no longer take this way, it became apparent there's one thing in common. They were not obedient to the heavenly vision. This was Paul's testimony. His life began with a vision from God of the glorified Jesus and the church as his body. He could stand before the prestigious earthly ruler and say, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So our God in his wisdom decided to conclude the scriptures with a consummate vision. And for this he prepared a very experienced elderly apostle 
90 plus, to be the vessel to see and hear this vision. And it's very important <clears throat> that we recognize the recipients of the book of Revelation. The Lord himself told John, what you see, write it on a scroll and send it to the seven churches. Then the Lord himself named seven cities. This is in Revelation 1. Then the Lord began to speak directly to each of these churches, starting in chapter 2. And when he did so, he followed this kind of expression, to the messenger of the church in Ephesus right. So the Lord Jesus is crystal clear that what he established on the earth through apostles was genuine local churches, one per city. Then at the very end of Revelation, toward the end of chapter 22, the Lord said to John, I, Jesus, have sent my messenger to testify to you these things for the churches. The vision recorded in the book of Revelation was meant for the churches. And how does this vision end? John is in spirit. An angelic messenger appears and says, come here. I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. This is the final vision. Then John was carried away in spirit unto a great and high mountain, and he saw the new Jerusalem descending from heaven, having the glory of God. The term new Jerusalem is used. But the angel said, I will show you a person. God is not going to marry a metropolis. <laughs> what kind of union would that be? The Bible ends with the vision of a lovely, glorified person. The bride, the wife of the redeeming God. By releasing this vision to the churches, the Lord was indicating to all these churches, you need to know why you were established. You need to know why you exist. 
You all are golden lampstands, shining me forth as a testimony where you are. But this holy city, who is actually a corporate person, is described as the ultimate, consummate, golden lampstand. So Revelation begins with lampstands, plural. It concludes with lampstand, singular. This will unfold little by little, this thought. But the churches need to see beyond themselves. They need to know what is in the Lord's heart. Why God ordained the establishing of local churches and why 1,900 years after they were first established, the Lord moved to recover genuine local churches. Why is it so important that the local churches be recovered? Some would say that doesn't really matter. There was a historical event we're now in the 21st century. This is the situation among believers. In heaven, we'll all be one. God does not agree with such ridiculous religious thought. All the churches who received this scroll from John and that scroll was read in their gatherings. The final vision they saw was the universal corporate wife of the Lord. And this vision has the effect of governing us, preserving us, directing us, restricting us, energizing us. The Lord Jesus will return to this earth. I believe the word recorded in Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> the apostles witnessed the Lord going up. They witnessed the cloud coming and taking him out of their sight. And they were still looking up. And the angel said, why are you looking up? This same Jesus will come in the way he left. I assure you, our Lord Jesus will return to that mountain in Israel, from which he ascended. When will he come back? We don't know. Why he will come back, that we know. He will come back 
for two main reasons. And the first is primary beyond compare. Our Lord wants to get married. The desire of his heart is to have a counterpart. The Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, I betrothed you, I engaged you to Christ. You're engaged. The Lord will come back secretly for the bride. If the bride is not ready, the Lord is not coming. We love that banner song composed when we crystallized the last two chapters of Song of Songs. I love to sing it too. And our prayer is, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, come. But he can't come in response to our sentiment. He can't come just in response to our loving request. The question in his heart is, are you ready? Is my bride ready? Is she mature? To match me? Has she been beautified to express me? Has she been built up corporately to represent me? Is she trained in warfare to be my warrior bride? Is her wedding garment prepared? As I'm saying this, the Lord, both from the throne and from our spirit, is observing the situation. Only he knows. But as of 1024 Pacific Standard Time, on December 3rd, 2017, the bride is not ready. Not yet. The Bible ends with a revelation of God's goal. It was to have what's called the Holy City, New Jerusalem, because it's a kingdom. But that's a description of a person, a corporate person. The wife, the bride of the redeeming God. The local churches to which the book of Revelation was sent are God's procedure, his way to accomplish his goal to produce the counterpart, the bride, for his son.
The Lord himself, in Matthew 16, made this marvelous declaration. He said, I will build my church. He didn't say a church. He said, my church. What does he see from the heavens? When a multitude gathers in St. Peter's Square to hear an, an edict from the Pope, does he say, my church? Surely not. As the television evangelists are claiming slay people in the spirit and heal this and that and this and that, while they're asking for more money, can the Lord say, my church? The Lord must and the Lord will fulfill that word, I will build my church. The words my church in Matthew 16, 18 refer to the universal body of Christ consisting of all the believers. Then in Matthew 18, the Lord spoke about recovering a lost sheep, about resolving difficulties among believers. So someone goes to a brother with the goal of gaining his brother resolving the matter, restoring fellowship. The brother won't listen. So the Lord said, take one or two others with you. If he doesn't listen, tell it to the church. Now we go from my church to the church. The Lord didn't say, tell it to a church as if there were many of them in the city, it's the. I'm really not suggesting a method of responding to questions that are asked, but sometimes if someone asks, what church do you attend? You may just want to say, duh. <laughs> duh, I mean, is there another one? So in order for the Lord to have his church, there must be the church, the local church, as the procedure. It is through that procedure that people are saved, that they're brought into function, that they grow in life, that they're built up together, that they're blended with believers throughout the earth so that the body may grow and the Lord may have a full-grown man. But here's our actual situation. We appreciate always evangelists like our dear brother Billy Graham He's 98 years old. 
I personally believe he's clothed in white garments. I do believe the kingdom awaits him. His gospel preaching was powerful. But actually, saving people was an end in itself. You just save as many as possible so they will go to heaven. So in a very real sense, we say respectfully to our brothers, you're not aware of the goal. We say amen to everyone saved through your preaching. But we don't say amen to the lack of goal. Now here we are, assembled this morning, as local churches, and then there's a live transmission to those who, because of the limitation of numbers allowed in the building as a whole, they're just as much in the meeting as we are. Do you realize it's possible to have an aimless church life? Aimless. It's not something we intend. It's something we can just lapse into. That as long as the Lord has a lot of local churches, he'll come back. Let's just say, in, after three years, the Lord has 10,000 local churches on the earth. Everyone is healthy. Every church is in order organically. There's a proper eldership, serving ones. The God-ordained way is carried out. The saints are vital. Do you think the Lord will come back just for 10,000 churches? What the Lord needs his brothers and sisters in every local church who are becoming more and more clear concerning the goal of their church life, which is the goal of the Lord's recovery. That's the title of the outline. Somehow my computer or the man using the computer made a formatting mistake, the dash should be after recovery. The goal of the Lord's recovery to bring forth the new man. It's altogether possible after a period of time in recovery for God's people to lose sight of what they're doing. In the Old Testament, Man, he paid the price to return from Babylon to Jerusalem in at least three waves of return. The first ones came after Cyrus's proclamation, then a number with Israel and Nehemiah. They began to build. There was opposition. They stopped at the level of the foundation. 
Then we have Haggai speaking for the Lord. And he asked, Why do you dwell in your paneled up houses? Why my house lies waste. Then he's even stronger. He said, You run everyone to his own house. Then if you read Malachi, situations even worse. So we need a vision that is constantly directing us, motivating us. Then as early as the first century, we have this situation. Paul's in prison. He receives a gift and fellowship from the church in Philippi. Then he said, I will send Timothy to you. For I have no one like souled who will genuinely care for what concerns you. Then he says, For all seek their own things, not the things of Christ Jesus. So here are the believers, here are a number of the co workers. Paul's assessment is. Timothy is the only one I can send who will genuinely care for what concerns you. He cares for the things of Christ Jesus. What does the Lord want when he said, my church? What is revealed throughout the New Testament concerning my church. Okay, three main matters. And this morning, we're in the second of them, as you'll see. Further revelation was given to the Apostle Paul. So in his ministry, he emphasized the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all in all. So in 1994, when Brother Lee was ministering on blending, the messages are in the book, The Practical Points Concerning Blending. He pointed out God's goal is the reality of the body of Christ. The local churches are the procedure. Then he testified he was with the Lord bringing to the Lord the whole situation because the whole earth was measured out to his ministry. As a priest, he could bring the whole situation to the Lord. And on the one hand, Brother Lee was thankful for the increasing number of local churches. Then he testified, he sensed the Lord asking him, is this all I want? Where is the reality of the body of Christ? So 23 and a half years ago, Brother Lee faithfully testified to us 
he said, I do not see the reality of the body of Christ anywhere. And certain words that were spoken in his ministry, they're just inscribed in my being. They're just there operating all the time. Is that how my church life will end up? 51 years to this point, maybe there'll be many more years, just a procedure. And we are happy with the progress in the procedure. There needs to be sisters who bear the Lord's desire in their heart and pray just pray again and again and again for the growth of the body, the building up of the body. Then a second status of the church is the one new man. This is a corporate God-man fulfilling God's purpose. So the church is first the organic body, just like a little human being. The baby's born, the body is there. As the body grows, the person living in the body develops. So you not only have a body, you have a person living in that body. And you take care of the body for the sake of the person living in the body. So the church must also be the corporate new man. Then this new man, God is truly beyond gender and what he reveals. This new man will become the counterpart, the bride. If he doesn't have the body, he cannot have the new man. If he doesn't have the new man, he cannot have the bride. If he doesn't have the bride, he cannot come back. My only boast is in the mercy of God. It's my only boast. Brother Nee once said in a message given right after his ministry was restored, he gave a message on mercy. He said, one time at least in your life, You need to realize everything depends on God's mercy. So what I'm about to testify is a matter of God's mercy, not anything pertaining to me at all. I live and breathe for the bride of Christ. 
This is the longing in his heart. To have the counterpart, a person to match him. And in order for there to be the bride, we need the proclamation of the gospel to produce the believers. We need the establishing of local churches. We need training, we need ministry, we need the God-ordained way, we need the growth in life. All of this procedure is to bring forth the body, then the new man, and then the bride. Only when the vision of the goal is directing us inwardly Only then can we say, I am living in the church life for God's goal. And if you are living in the church life as God's goal, you will never run to your paneled house as quickly as you can. Rather, everything in your human life in all of its practicalities, you will take care of in relation to this goal. When it's time to get married, both the brother and the sister will have settled it in their being. Yes, I need someone to match me. There needs to be mutual attraction. There needs to be compatibility. But above all else, my marriage is for the Lord's marriage, period. If you are not for that, then this will be our one and only conversation at Starbucks or at Max's over a pastrami sandwich, okay? Now, we'll read through the outline in due time. Let me focus on the church as the new man and give you a summary of the vision. Then we can go through the outline. I think it will make more sense. God's eternal purpose is to have on the earth a corporate expression of Christ. And Christ himself is the embodiment and expression of the triune God. The term God uses for this corporate expression of Christ is church. This is the church according to the apostles' teaching. The ecclesia. The brethren were correct in translating assembly. But that word doesn't work when you're talking about the universal side that Christ is going to come to marry the assembly. Or the assembly is the counterpart of Christ. So we need to use the word church with the proper understanding. 
God created the universe for this purpose. Then he created the earth and he created you and me in his image for this purpose. So Genesis 1.26 is an act of creation in time to carry out God's eternal purpose formed in eternity past, to have in this universe a corporate expression of the all-inclusive Christ, who is the embodiment and expression of God, the triune God. In God's view, the human he created in Genesis is a corporate person. And he created us in our humanity with the need for other people. I just give the singer a little credit. People who need people are the luckiest people in the world. So I don't know if anyone has proclaimed the gospel to Barbara Streisand. I would say, Miss Streisand, people who need Jesus are the happiest people in the world. But by nature, we're social. We're meant to be communal. So God's intention in creating human beings was to have on the earth his expression and representation. The enemy fears this because this corporate person will deal with him. So he ruined the human race by injecting himself into our being, making us self-centered, to say the least. So after a period of time, God sent his son as the second man. That expression is found in 1 Corinthians 15. The second man is the Lord from heaven. This is the Lord Jesus, the son of God, becoming the son of man. And he himself personally fulfilled God's purpose in creating man. He expressed God. He did the will of God. He represented God with his authority. He defeated the devil himself. But God's intention is not to have only one person expressing him. So this second man, as the Lamb of God, died on the cross for our redemption. And while he's on the cross in the second three hours, he's carrying out an amazing work. On the negative side, he is destroying the devil. He is nullifying the works of the devil. He's defeating the principalities and powers who were attacking him. On the positive side, He terminated 
all the factors that have divided the races, the nationalities, the ethnic groups, all the ordinances, all the elements that have caused enmity and division. Then he, as the second man, crucified the old man. That's the term to describe the totality of fallen humanity. So the second man is on the cross, terminating every divisive thing, crucifying the old man. But then Paul tells us, while he's on the cross, in himself, he's creating one new man. And he, he was addressing the primal division between Jews and Gentiles. Sorry to say, we will see this again. It's already happening in Europe. Fresh waves of anti-Semitism. What, what can match the Holocaust, the rage, the hatred? But he created in himself one new man, making peace. This he did on the cross. Before he went to the cross, he told his disciples in John 16 that they, were, they will be like a woman travailing in birth to bring forth a child. But when the child... A male, a man-child is born. She will rejoice. So the new man was created on the cross. And the new man was born when Christ was resurrected. That's when he became the firstborn son in his humanity and divinity. That is when, according to 1 Peter 1.3, we were all regenerated. That is why, on the morning of his resurrection, he could tell our dear seeking sister Mary, go to my brothers. Now he has brothers. Yes, this vision is very high. It's in the word over which we would do well to pray. But right now, not only does God know this one new man has been created and is a reality, the enemy knows and is terrified by this. Because this corporate new man will fulfill God's purpose. This corporate new man will express God in his attributes and deal with God's enemy. The revelation given to Paul in particular in Ephesians and Colossians has been there for 2,000 years. Through the ministry of the age and the minister of the age, in 1977, in Taiwan, Brother Lee released 
the vision of the age related to the church as the one new man. I was there. The messages were astounding, awesome, light. It's in the book, The Body, the Spirit, and the One New Man. Then he began to tell us there's only one person, Christ himself and all those who compose the new man. And the one new man has only one mouth, so there should be one speaking all over the earth. And shortly thereafter, he came back to the United States at a conference on the new man in Anaheim. And then the enemy attacked directly through a man named Max, who proclaimed himself the universal coordinator of the one new man. Ambition I've never seen the likes of. He wanted to be a little direct the whole earth by phone calls. So we lost 40 years. I didn't think I would mention this again, but I just had the leading to. So here we are this morning, 40 years later. The vision remains. And what's in my heart? In my burning yet aching heart in my rejoicing, yet weeping heart. What will happen now? I believe, starting with the elders training in Leipzig that had the general subject, the recovery of the church, I believe the Lord is visiting us again with this matter. And I believe he will apply to us the prophecy in Joel. I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I'm certainly not young. I, I said, Auf Wiedersehen to middle age some years ago. But by Christ in me, I'm still hoping to live long enough to see the new man brought forth in the churches all over the earth. So three things for this are needed. I mentioned the first is the vision gradually developing in us. Most of us will see visions little by little. So don't waste your energy condemning yourself. We're just all the same. It's a gradual matter. So this morning, we're opening the curtain a little more. You'll see a little more. When you're with the Lord, you'll see a little more. But on the side of experience, two crucial things have to actually happen inside of us and therefore to us. They happen to Paul, who's the pattern. They happened in Brother Lee, who is our example. Two things. The body 
needs Christ as life. So to have the body life, we need Christ as our life. For the new man, we need Christ as our person. When we were regenerated, our spirit became life, Romans 8.10. Because Christ as the life-giving spirit came into our spirit. Now our spirit is our inner man. When our inner man is strengthened and we allow Christ to make his home in our hearts, that is when we allow him to be the person living in us. We don't confine him to our spirit. We give him access to our inner being where he wants to make home. Now he's making home in our heart, so he truly is the person in us, expressing himself through our soul, instead of ourself expressing itself through our soul. Christ as the person, expanding from our spirit into our heart, is now expressed And you may not realize this, but on your job, in your daily living, you express Christ much more than you ever thought. How much only the Lord knows. And this expression will increase. But there is another matter that is mainly uncharted territory. And Brother Lee fought concerning this in a series of messages on Colossians. The barrier, the hindrance to the coming forth of the one new man is the saints still living according to culture. Just culture. And all that goes with it. And if we're living according to culture, that means our thinking, our values, and our preferences are determined by culture. And we follow this practice. People of like culture that also have the same racial identity, national identity, they just prefer to be together. Even if they're not at enmity with others, they just want to be with their own kind. And churches can be established this way, unwittingly. But Brother Lee, I won't tell the story again, could testify, I heard him testify, to a sister who inquired of something. He said, Sister, I am not Chinese. (laughs) You think Chinese don't eat cheese? And you're wondering why I'm eating cheese since you think I'm Chinese? Well, yes, I have the physical features of a Chinese man, but sister... 
I'm not Chinese. I heard that word in 1973. It's ringing in me. So I hope sometime when I grow to maturity, maybe I'll be in Korea. I like Korean barbecue. Kimchi, that's another thing. <laughs> but the hostess is serving kimchi, and I'm not only eating it, I'm actually enjoying it. And maybe she'll say, Brother Ron, you like kimchi. I thought Americans didn't like kimchi. One day, because I'm not going to imitate, one day I'd like to look at her with affection and say, Sister, I'm not an American. <laughs> I'm not a Finno-Swedish, Caucasian American. I'm just a little part of one new man. <laughs> so, sooner or later, the Lord will break through the matter of our culture then this will open the way because everyone pays the price. You are willing to no longer be limited by your own kind. But you are willing to come together with every other kind imaginable and learn to become one corporate person with Christ as the person and Christ as the constituent. This is the bringing forth of the one new man. Just as the body is a reality, it still needs to be manifested as a reality in the local churches. Just as you have been crucified with Christ, that's a reality. But that reality needs to be lived out in your living, where Christ is living in you and the old eye is not. Yes, in the spiritual realm, the new man exists as a reality. The enemy is trying his best to hide this truth. And we will continue to fight for this truth. But there are these words in Philippians 4. Until we all arrive at a full grown man. Parents, wasn't that always been your aspiration for your daughter and sons? You just want to see them develop into a normal, healthy, responsible adult. And as of this morning, now it's 11, six minutes after 11, the new man has not come forth yet. But we look to the Lord that in the very near future, there will be signs of development. This is what encourages the parents. My child is developing. She's only 13, but she's developing. In five years, she won't be like this. She'll be like that. 
the Lord, this has to happen. Please, whether it's this is American pragmatism or Chinese pragmatism, don't be robbed by it, by thinking like this. Oh, the vision's so high. I want something practical, practical. It sounds very good. But that mindset will lead you into, you'll get lost in the procedure. No goal. Because in your opinion, the goal is just impractical. So I'm here for the next 23 minutes as I finish the message by reading the outline. I'm here to be as impractical as possible. (laughs) To stress the Lord's desire to bring forth the one new man. Now, we read through the outline. I believe it will help anchor the thoughts previously expressed. The church, the body of Christ, is the one new man to accomplish God's eternal purpose. God's intention in his creation of man was to have a corporate man to express him and to represent him. Eventually, the church, as the one new man, is the corporate man in God's intention. The one new man fulfills the twofold purpose of expressing God and dealing with God's enemy. So when the churches have prayer meetings according to whatever arrangement. The church prays as the one new man with the authority to bind the evil activities in the atmosphere over this country. According to my impression, there's a more intense assault of the evil powers in the air over this country going on right now than I've observed in the last 60 years that I've been aware of it. It cannot all be explained what's happening. It can't all be explained on a natural level. The way people are thinking, they're speaking, what they're doing. But if there's not a new man that can pray binding and releasing prayers to tell the Lord, we disagree with what the enemy is doing. And we're not pleading. We are binding. We're praying with authority. You raised up this country for your economy. Tell the enemy, take your hands off. This is not in the realm of politics. May God put in the Oval Office the man or woman of his choice. I don't care. We want God's purpose to be fulfilled. Two, the one new man was created through Christ's death on the cross. The one new man was created by Christ with two kinds of material. The redeemed created man and the divine element. 
On the cross, Christ put these two materials together to produce a new man. Paul saw this vision. This happened. In the creating of the new man, first, our natural man was crucified with Christ. So all of us, at the same moment, were crucified when the Lord was crucified. This is a wonderful fact. And then, through the crossing out of the old man, Christ imparted the divine element into us, causing us to become a new entity. So, in your experience, the Spirit will apply the cross to your old man, including your disposition and your culture. But God will never leave you empty. As soon as the cross does this, the Spirit dispenses more Christ into you. But I suggest you don't pray that much about the cross. Pray positively, Lord, saturate me with yourself. And then stuff will happen and you wonder, why is this stuff happening? I didn't pray for this. I prayed to be saturated. And the Lord may say, Didn't you ask me to saturate you? Well, this is part of the process. Then eventually you'll welcome it and be thankful for it because the outcome is that you're going to be filled to overflowing with the triune God. Like we sang in hymn 233, till all my being fill. Didn't some of you pray that line? Inwardly as we were singing it, all my being fill. Apart from being in Christ, we could not have been created into one new man. Because in ourselves, we do not have the divine essence, which is the element of the new man. So some dear saints, they've had a mistaken concept. They think, oh, if we have a meeting and we we have all kinds of racial and ethnic and national groups together, that's the one new man. If that's the case, then we can all go to New York City and see the one new man in the United Nations. But what you see there is one corporate expression of the old man at war. (laughs) And so none of us, we're all the same. Okay, One is not higher than the other. One is not lower than the other. We're all the same. In ourselves, we cannot be part of this new man because we don't have the essence of it. But in Christ, oh, what a miracle, my Lord, that I'm in thee and thou in me, that thou and I are really one. Oh, what a wondrous mystery. I'm looking at 800 or so believers who right now are one with the resurrected Christ. But this is amazing. Only the divine essence and with the divine essence 
were we created into the one new man. It is possible to have this essence only in Christ. So we're going to pay more attention to Christ than ever before, love him more, behold him more, eat and drink him more, enjoy him more, open to him more. Not looking at ourselves, examining ourselves. Forget it. Just spend 15 minutes letting the Lord radiate his glorious being into you until you shine. How about that? What do you think the Lord wants when you come to him in the morning? You think he's out to get you? He's just out to deal with you? And now you don't know what to confess and you're really bothered. Uh Uh-oh. The Lord's hiding things from me. He's saving them to surprise me at the judgment seat. Okay. The Lord is not that kind of person. The devil's like that. If you're not aware of anything, then just say, Lord, I'm not aware of anything right now that I need to clear up. But one thing I surely want to do is I want to tell you, like never before, I love you. I love you so much. And I give this day to you that you will increase in me a little today. And I'd like to turn my heart to you and open my heart to you and behold you. And if I don't know what to say, then now I'm going to read the word and pray some verses. And by doing that, I'm going to eat and drink you and breathe you in. Okay? How sweet that is. Our pursuit should be so positive. But realize that the cross needs to operate as the medicine to make the increase of Christ possible. Christ himself is the essence of the new man, hence in himself. He created the two, Jews and Gentiles, into one new man. In the one new man, Christ is all because he is the essence with which the new man was created. Therefore, the one new man is Christ. Three, the church is the one new man, and in this new man, Christ is all, and in all, we have no place. So here's our way of welcoming all the believers. We can say truly in the Lord's presence. We receive all the believers. God has received you. Christ has received you. We receive you without question. So, welcome to the church life. There is no room for you here. (laughs) You may wonder, wait a minute. How can I be here welcomed if there's no place for me here? Well, Paul says Christ is all and in all. So Christ is all, that means you're not and he is. But Christ is in all That means you're still here. 
for him to be in you. Think of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. Wait a minute. If the I is gone, how can me be here? Right? Christ lives in me. That me is a new me. The I that was crucified, that's the self without Christ. Now Christ is in us, making us a new me. So Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live. He just said, I'm not living. Now he says, I'm living. This is a mystery. The old man that was living in the self is gone. Christ has come into you. You're a new creation. You're a new me in which he is the person living. And now you live him out. That is Christ living out through you. So Christ is going to replace all of us. And everything in all of us that is a divisive factor. And this is a personal matter. We're not laying this on others. You have to see the new man. And if there's an element of culture in you that is a barrier to this, the Lord's going to touch it. But you may love that element of culture. I read something that was quite instructive related to identity politics. Certain people, they have a particular hairstyle characteristic of them. I'm not going to say what it is because I want to be just generic. And a person from another race, he decided to have the same style for his hair. And then a young woman got angry at him and rebuked him. You have no right to style your hair like this. This is our style. This is our identity. Okay, if someone like that comes, I have no, nothing to say about your hairstyle. Believe me, that's outward. It's the person who wants to be different. That's the person that has to be touched so that Christ can be the person in you. So you need to see something of a vision. And you need to eventually love Christ more than you love yourself. That will happen. You appreciate him more than you appreciate yourself. Then you pray a very simple prayer. Lord Jesus, for the one new man, replace me with yourself. Remove everything in me that's a hindrance to the new man. And Lord, live in me. Then you will find out you're still here. But you're here in a way you were not here before. Before you were here as a natural person, the product of your culture, your race, your nationality, like everybody else. Now the Lord is bringing forth a new man 
All the created physical differences are a beautiful aspect of God's creation and will remain for his expression. He will not eradicate them, but inwardly, one person needs to form in hundreds, in thousands, eventually in millions of believers. And in the recovery, we need to take the lead for this. To see what's on the Lord's heart. A, God's intention in his economy is that Christ be everything. So that means you and I are nothing. This may sound threatening threatening to you. Actually, it's just such a relief to be nothing and to stop trying to be something. And especially to stop trying to be something you can never be. I'm tired of being a dog trying to fly. (laughs) It really tires you out. Just let Christ be what he is to you. Therefore, it is crucial for us to see that God wants nothing but Christ and that in the eyes of God, nothing counts except Christ. God's intention is to make Christ his son the center of his economy and also to make him everything to the believers. God's economy is to work the all-inclusive Christ into us. It really helps if this would become a simple prayer. Today, today, Lord, work yourself into me. This morning, just simply for a couple minutes, my wife and I sat on the couch and we prayed like this. Lord, we give you this day. Dispense yourself into us. Work yourself into us. You know what I believe? When I put my head on my pillow, maybe around 11 o'clock tonight, you know what I believe? I believe there'll be more Christ in me than when I took my head off the pillow this morning. I'm not going to waste another day. I've wasted enough days. Wasting days, that's over. How about little by little, day by day, we let Christ work himself into us? B, there is no natural person in the one new man. And there is no possibility No room for any natural person. Now, when you came in, there wasn't a meter at the door clicking. Uh Uh-uh, natural person, can't come in. Can't partake of the table, natural. 92% natural, no, you can't come in. There's no such thing as that. But inwardly, the Lord wants the reality of the new man. And sooner or later, this will happen to all the believers. Sooner means it happens during your lifetime. Later means it happens more or less in the latter part of the millennium for those not in the kingdom. This is God's eternal intention. Okay. C, the new man is uniquely one, one in Christ and one with Christ. We are one by Christ and through Christ. Hmm. Recently, I looked at a book written by uh, a person disagreeing with the whole recovery now on oneness. And the book begins with a quotation, which I take as the sounding of the theme of oneness. And he quotes 
one of the Beatles, John Lennon, and one, if we could just be one. So the book takes as the standard indicated by that quotation, just one, no governments, no barriers. That's the kind of oneness at the Tower of Babel oneness. Our criterion of oneness is not a John Lennon song. It's God himself. That there would be one new man saturated with Christ. The one new man comes into being as we are saturated, filled, and permeated with Christ and replaced by him through an organic process. So imagine what would happen. This is the third. We got 28 days, just about 13 months between now and the end of 2018. Let's say every day for the next 390 or so days, we prayed sincerely, Lord, today, saturate me, fill me, and permeate me with yourself for the one new man. Don't you think after 390 days there'll be more Christ in all of us? This is the way it happens. One, the new man is Christ in all the saints, permeating us and replacing us until all natural distinctions have been removed and everyone is constituted of Christ. The all-inclusive Christ must be wrought into us organically until he replaces our natural being with himself. So we have two untils here. Until we all arrive at a full-grown man. Until. The important thing is that we're in the process. And this is a personal matter. I can't do it for you. I can't eat for you. I can't breathe for you. Only you can do this. And when the vision interfaces with your love for the Lord and your seeking, then you will pray, Lord, I want you to have your counterpart, your bride prepared. For this, you need the new man to be brought forth. Lord, I'm part of this. Lord, I consecrate this day to you that for this new man, you will saturate me a little more with yourself. That will happen, I assure you. E, in the one new man, Christ is all the members and is in all the members. The Christ who dwells in us is the constituent of the one new man. Because Christ is all the members of the new man, there is no room in the new man for any race, nationality, culture, or social status. This is an inward matter. All the outward physical differences remain. But inwardly, the factors that set us apart and cause the enmity and the division are gone. There's just one person in all these diverse human beings. In order for us to experience the reality of Christ being all the members of the new man, we need to take Christ as our life and person 
and live him, not ourselves. It is very significant that Paul said both that Christ is all and that he is in all. We should not think that because Christ is all the members of the new man, we are nothing and are not needed. The fact that Christ is in all the members of the new man indicates that the members continue to exist. You will have your identity forever in the new Jerusalem. We'll have to get used to seeing one another with our transfigured glorified bodies. And the overcomers will have a new name, so we won't know each other's new name. But we'll recognize each other. We'll just say, I think the last time I saw you was in the South San Francisco Convention Center when we fellowshiped on on the new man, and the Lord did it. And then we both rejoice. You can just say, and he did it during our lifetime. (laughs) Huh? I believe so. We're not going to end up as anonymous slabs of jasper. That's impersonal. Every one of us was designed and created by God in a particular way to express him. God is not going to efface that. He has to redeem and transform that and fill that person with Christ. The goal of the Lord's recovery is to bring forth the one new man. So we are for the Lord's recovery. We are in the Lord's recovery. So the goal of the Lord's recovery should become the goal of our church life, the goal of our Christian life, and the goal of our human life. I mean everything. I believe in exercising for my health, in eating properly for my health. Why? You go to 24-hour fitness, You'll see the young adults doing this out of narcissism. Just out of self-love. Like I mentioned the other night, they do that to buff. I do that to stay alive. (laughs) To stay alive? Why do I want to stay alive? It's to fulfill my portion in God's economy. that's, That's what the whole thing is about. What the Lord has been doing and is now doing in his recovery is bringing forth the one new man with himself as the life and the person for God's expression. We believe this is happening and will happen more. The requirement that everyone be only one man is is exceedingly high. We admit it. This is the highest requirement in the New Testament. But our being actually wants this. But I noticed when I was teaching truly gifted students in high school, they didn't want something easy. They wanted something that would challenge them, that would activate all the capacity within them. And the divine life within us, 
is activated when we have a vision of the highest requirement. It's so high that we cannot do it without the Lord, so we stop trying to improve and being distressed because we're not getting any better in the old creation. We just say, Lord, you did it in Paul, who wanted to kill all of us. You did it in Brother Lee. If you can do it in them, you can do it in me. I hope right now you have the faith to believe for yourself that the Lord, during your lifetime on earth, will make you a mature, functioning part of the corporate one new man. With Christ as your life and your person fully developed. Isn't this what you expected for your children? To reach adulthood? It's just so normal. I like to tell Satan, shut your mouth. Stop lying in the minds of my brothers and sisters. The new man is growing and developing. And when he's matured, we're going to destroy you and recover the earth for God's kingdom. And more important than that, the Lord's going to have his bride and we're going to live happily ever after as the new Jerusalem. For the practical existence of the one new man, we need to rise up together to take Christ as our person. I'll tell you, I can't do this alone. If I don't have companions, if I don't have a helper, if I don't have the church, I can't carry this out for very long. But with you, I can do anything. That means with the body, we can accomplish anything the Lord requires. Let's do this together. Let's learn to do this together. The one new man will consummate this age. Usher in the kingdom of God and bring Christ the King back to this earth. This is the goal of the Lord's recovery to bring forth the one new man. May this goal be our goal throughout our entire life until we are raptured and meet the Lord at the throne. Praise him for his mercy to us to give us a fresh start to carry out the desire of his heart. If you're so inclined, please pray for a minute or so with someone nearby and the brothers will direct us concerning our sharing. We need the word to be confirmed.